0: Well, please uh, turn your Bibles uh, with me to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk may not be the first book you normally turn to. It's uh, after Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. If you get to any Z-books, you've gone too far. So the book of Habakkuk. Uh, For those of you who may be visiting with us, or for those of you who uh, may have slept since last week, uh, what we're doing is we're going through Old Testament right now. We're taking a kind of a whirlwind tour of the Old Testament looking at the the promise of the gospel throughout all of Scripture. Uh, We see that that Jesus is not just someone who is announced in the book of Matthew, but that Jesus is a person who uh, permeates all of the Old Testament as well. We find out about his his work and his ministry, uh, the gospel, his his person uh, as we go through the Old Testament. And so, This morning and next week, we're going to be looking at the person of Jesus Christ in in the prophets, the the, the books of the the prophets. And Habakkuk is what we call a minor prophet, and minor doesn't refer to Habakkuk's importance, but rather to its length. Habakkuk is a, a short book, three chapters long, and so we're going to be looking at Habakkuk and the message of God through the prophet Habakkuk this morning. And so, if you would stand with me, if you're able, in honor of God, as we read his word together, we're going to be looking at Habakkuk chapter 1 and part of chapter 2, but, but really we're, we're focusing on verses 2 through 5, where we see the Lord answering the prophet Habakkuk. And, and this is what the Lord says beginning in verse 2, Habakkuk chapter 2. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. You may be seated. May God encourage you through his word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gospel and as we've we've just uh, this morning seen our our kids uh, the, the kids whom you have entrusted to the church we thank you for our children and we pray that this this good news of the gospel would would permeate their hearts that they would love you that they would love you more than than anything else and and their hearts would be transformed as they they worship your son Jesus and uh, place their trust in him alone for Uh, their salvation for the righteousness that only you can bring. We pray for our time here, help our our hearts to be very uh, sensitive and very uh, much in love with you as we read your word together. And we pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. In times of stress, in times of of difficulty, in times of, of tragedy, There can be a a lot of questions that we ask. When things are not going well in our lives, we can ask a a lot of questions. And I think the challenge for us is, is first of all, to ask the right questions. There's a lot of questions we can be tempted to ask. And so it's important as we face a time of difficulty, a time of trial, that we're asking the right questions as we find ourselves in the midst of that. And then I think the other challenge, and and this is perhaps even, even more difficult, Our challenge is to listen to the answer that God gives us when we ask questions in times of difficulty or trial or suffering. Because at first glance, sometimes it may seem that the answers that God gives don't line up with the questions that we ask. We're kind of concerned about These things, as we find ourselves in the time of of injustice or suffering or trial or tragedy, we're asking these questions. God says this, and what God is saying doesn't line up with what we're thinking about, and so there's a tension there. I want us to dive into the book of Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is a unique book because what takes place in Habakkuk is the prophet Habakkuk asks some questions, and God answers, and then Habakkuk, on the basis of God's answer, will ask another question, and then God will answer. And then Habakkuk will have a, a challenge before him. Is he going to respond by believing what God has said and, and worshiping God, or is he going to respond differently? And as we look at Habakkuk, we see him asking these questions, and we're going to see kind of some, some answers that God provides as we go through this text this morning. The Lord's answer, the the gospel answer that we're going to look at, occurs in chapter two. But before we get to chapter two, I want us to spend some time together in chapter one and look at the questions that Habakkuk asks. As he asks these questions, I want us to look at the text and and see how these questions relate to the, the situations that you and I find ourselves in. Let's go ahead and look at the text. Look at And after we look at the text, we'll see the first question he asks. We'll look at some more text and see the second question he asks. And then we'll relate God's gospel answer back to Habakkuk, okay? So let's, let's first of all, not look at the question yet, but, but look at verse 2 of Habakkuk. And by the way, I think Habakkuk is, is writing this, I'd say in the early 600s sometime in the 7th century, but I think kind of around 609, 605 B.C., and I'll I'll say why here in just a minute, but let's look at these verses. Starting in verse 2, here's what Habakkuk says. Habakkuk says, "'O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth.' For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. What's Habakkuk saying? Habakkuk is, is saying that, that he's, he's in this culture in which wickedness is taking place. And, and he says, God, as I've, I've seen this wickedness take place, I've cried out for help and you've not done anything. I've cried out violence and you've not done anything. I, you don't listen, you don't do anything, and so it's kind of perplexing for me. And not only have you not done anything, but you've placed me in a situation where I'm seeing terrible injustices taking place. I'm seeing iniquity, and you're idly looking at wrong. There's this destruction and violence, strife and contention. The law isn't doing what it's supposed to do. It's paralyzed. Instead of the law being this instrument that's to bring blessing to the righteous, the law is kind of stuck in neutral, and the righteous are being surrounded by the wicked. That bothers Habakkuk. Now, as I mentioned, I I believe that Habakkuk is is writing this, we're not sure of the exact time, but I think he's writing this around 609, 605 B.C. Now, we we know that it's sometime in the 7th century. Remember, I talked about last week how the kingdom of Israel, sometime between 900 and 1,000 B.C., we talked about how the kingdom of Israel was divided into two separate kingdoms. The northern kingdom... In the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was known as Judah because of the dominant tribe there. Whenever Habakkuk is writing, the the southern kingdom has been carried the northern kingdom has been carried away into exile, and the southern kingdom remains. And Habakkuk is prophesying to the southern kingdom. Now, during the seventh century BC, in the 600s BC, there were several kings. There was evil king Manasseh. Then he had an evil son. Then Manasseh's grandson was Josiah, a righteous king. And then Josiah had a son and his name was Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim was another evil king. In fact, I want to read to you some things that Jeremiah said about this king in Jeremiah chapter 22. And and listen to what Jeremiah says about Jehoiakim in Jeremiah 22. And compare that to what we just read in Habakkuk chapter 1 and and, and see the parallels here, what what Habakkuk is seeing. This is what uh, the Lord says to this, this King Jehoiakim. Verse 13, "'Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages.'" who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar and painting it with vermilion. Do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father, and he's talking about Josiah there, did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well is not this to know me, declares the Lord, but you have eyes and hearts only for dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood, for practicing oppression and violence. Notice here that the evil that this this king is involved in is of several different types. There's obviously this physical violence that's taking place and this oppression, but there's this, this economic oppression as well. Those who are their neighbors are, are, are being oppressed by those who are powerful, and the wages that are due to them are not being paid to them. There's, there's this oppression that's taking place on the part of the powerful. And Habakkuk, as he lives in this culture and sees this injustice take place, taking place, he's disturbed in his soul by it. In fact, what does God say in Jeremiah 22 at the same time period? He says, is not this to know me, declares the Lord. In other words, a person who cares for the poor and the needy knows God. And a person who doesn't care for those things, who isn't bothered by evil and injustice, doesn't know God. A person who can see a person in need and be in a position to help them to give them even what is their due and and not desire that to take place or or see oppression and and, um, the powerful abusing their positions of power, for a person not to be bothered by that reveals something very profound about their character, that they don't know God. For God is a God of justice, as Psalm 9 says. He establishes his, his throne in justice. The oppressor turns to God. Now, maybe you have been the the victim of some injustice, and if you're like me, uh, whenever you have been the victim of injustice, you are very much aware of it. You take note. Your employer has not treated you the way that you think that you deserve to be treated. A, a co-worker has, has gone behind your back and done some things and and. Not only have you looked bad, but the coworker has has looked good. Maybe the coworker has looked good for work you 've done and, and and you recognize the injustice in that, or a neighbor has done something to you or or a family member has done something to you and, and you 've been the victim of injustice, maybe you 've gone through a A terrible divorce, and this this divorce that you didn't even want to take place has has taken place. Your family has been ripped apart, and the justice system that you thought you could turn to and and receive protection for you and and others has not been the place of solace that you thought it would be. And now you find yourself in a time where you're going through a period, you're oppressed, and and it's, it's deeply bothersome to you. And it's deeply bothersome to God, too. But here's what we see about the believer, about those who love righteousness. Injustice for the believer doesn't just bother them when it takes place against themselves, but for the person who shares the heartbeat of God, injustice in the world bothers them. Not just when it's done to them, but just its, its mere existence. It troubles them. It, it, it makes their soul very weary as they see this unrighteousness and injustice take place. And so the first question that Habakkuk is asking here is, uh, why does God allow evil? That's the first question we see here, right? Why does God allow evil? Habakkuk sees the evil that's existing. He's like, God, why is this here? I don't get it. And so he asks God a very good question. Why? I, I know you, God, I know that you are more troubled by injustice even than me. You hate wickedness even more than me. Why is this here? And God answers. And listen to God's answer and put yourself in Habakkuk's shoes or sandals here and imagine how you would feel if you were receiving this answer. I think what you'll find is far from comforting, this answer that God gives raises some even more profound questions. Here's what God says, verse 5. Okay, uh, Habakkuk. Look among the nations and, and see, wonder and be astounded. In other words, look around. Look at all these different nations that are surrounding Judah. And, and I've got a surprise for you. I have been aware of the injustice and evil that's taken place in Judah. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm, you're going to be surprised. You won't even believe it when I tell you. Behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. It's the Babylonians. You know, that bitter and hasty nation. He talks about their violence. uh, They march through the breadth of the earth. They cease dwellings not their own. They're dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. It goes on and describes their their, their ferocity. They come for violence, verse 9. All their faces upward verse 10 at kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh they laugh at every fortress they pile up earth and take it and then they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their god they worship themselves and their own might so habakkuk asks the question god why do you allow evil why is this this injustice taking place in judah god responds yeah i'm going to deal with it i'm raising up the babylonians and now Habakkuk has a more profound question on his hands. The answer that God has, has given him has presented new theological problems for him. I've mentioned before how uh, my little girl Hannah, whenever she was about uh, 13 days old, uh, she, she had sped up in the night and kind of swallowed that and had, had basically almost choked to death and Taking her to the hospital, and they couldn't quite figure out what was going wrong. And so, the first 48 hours were just very, very uh, difficult for us. And she was on a ventilator, you know, so there's a tube going down her throat. She's got all these, you know, IVs coming into her head and, and just looks a mess. And as a dad, you know, you, you look at your little girl, this, I mean, this little tiny baby, and 13 days old, and, and, you see the discomfort that she's in, and you wish you could do something. Now, she, she was somewhat conscious, somewhat not. You know, they were keeping her pretty sedated. But if she had been able to process what was going on around her, and she had seen me there in the hospital room, this, this guy that had, had held her and told her how much he loved her and all this, and, and if she would seen me in the hospital room there with her, she might have had a very legitimate question. Dad, why don't you do something about this? This this tube going down my throat is incredibly uncomfortable. Why I I see you have hands. You're not her little arms were strapped down, you know, to the to the the, uh, the the crib there that she was in, so she wouldn't pull things out. Dad, your hands aren't tied up. Why don't you do something here? But if she really knew what was going on, her question would be even more difficult. Not only dad, why don't you stop what's going on here? But if she knew what, how I had been involved, her question would have been, Dad, why did you help put me in this spot in the first place? In other words, I wasn't some passive agent that goes, oh, there's my daughter. I got her into that situation. I put, took her to the hospital. I told the doctors to do these things. You see the more difficult question that Habakkuk has? The more difficult question, the second question that Habakkuk is about to ask, it's not just why did God allow evil, but question is, how can God appoint evil? How can a holy, righteous God sovereignly appoint evil for us to go through? Here's how Habakkuk puts it. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's my translation of the Hebrew there. Are you kidding me? Let me let me let me say some theological truths here God. First of all, aren't you from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my holy one? In other words, I know that you're eternal. I know the promises that you made to David and the promises that you made to Abraham, those haven't gone away. We can't die, he says. Lord But now now here's the other theological problem. You've said something's going to happen. You've ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. I know this is your sovereign plan, but boy, I do not get this. How can these things be true? You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? God, I don't get this. You got, yeah, I, I mean, I acknowledge, I, I mean, I'm the one who brought this up, God. Yeah, we've got some problems here. But wow, do our problems pale in comparison with the, Bab, the Babylonians. Those are some really wicked dudes. How can, how can the wicked flourish over the person who's even, who's, who's less wicked than they? How can the, the wicked be, be dealt with by those who are way more wicked and so he goes on, he goes, just in case you didn't know God, let me kind of remind you, even though God's already talked about how he knows about their evil tendencies, he talks about who the Babylonians are. You know, God, you've made mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler, but the Babylonian brings all of them up with a hook. And he's talking there, I think, about the, the way they, they'd carry captives, they they put uh, hooks sometimes through their, their, their lower lips, and they, they drag their captives that way. He says, th- th- he drags them out with his net, he gathers them in his dragnet, he rejoices and is, is glad. Then, and so he does all those evil things, but instead of recognizing God, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net? Are you going to let him mercilessly kill the nations forever, God? How can this be is Habakkuk's question. Whitney and I have known each other since 6th uh, and 5th grade. We went to the same elementary school together. We went to the same junior high and high school together. and uh, Got married when we were basically still children. I mean, we, we've known each other a long time. We used to play this game uh, with each other when we were newlyweds, we, we'd say, uh, "Hey, tell me, see if you can tell me something about you that I don't already know." Okay. So we try to think of things the other person didn't already know about us. I'd make up things to win. But. <laughs> Second service always gets more of the more of the story because Whitney's not in here. But the the, the cool thing about a marriage relationship is, is that uh, you, you do continue to find out new things about that person, right? And part of it's just because we evolve, you know, we, we change, we, we grow. But part of it is, you know, we're just very complicated creatures, human beings. And part of the joy in marriage is getting to find out more things about the character of the, the person to whom you're married. Habakkuk has just found out some new things about God's character, He's understood, some, he's understood God's sovereignty. He's understood God's, God's goodness. He's understood those things. And, and now they're kind of mingling together in a way that he's very uncomfortable with and he doesn't understand. And so he's asking these questions. God, why do you allow evil? And then more, and as he finds out more about God's involvement, he's like, well, well, how, how can a sovereign, holy, loving God appoint evil? And now Habakkuk does something very wise in verse 1 of chapter 2. Look at the text. You know the wise thing that he does? He decides to be quiet and listen to what God says. I want to read to you some, some verses from the book of Proverbs that those of uh, you who are our parents may want to jot down, those of you who are kids, uh, in the first service I had my kids uh, write these down, uh, l- l- listen, these are great words for children, but they're also great words for those of us who are adults because in and of ourselves we don't like correction very much, right? But listen to what, listen to what the, the book of Proverbs says, and, and this is kind of a very Jewish understanding of correction and, and reproof. Habakkuk here in, in verse 1 says, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen, and I, and at the very end of verse 1 he says, I'm going to see what I'm going to answer concerning my complaint. And that word complaint there can also mean re, re, rebuke. And so I'm going to wait and hear how what my rebuke is, what God is, is rebuking me for what I've just said. He's, he's expecting God to have an answer to what he's just said. He understands that he may be in the wrong, he, he understands he is in the wrong here, but he's, he's told God, look, this is how I don't understand, and now I'm going to be patient and listen to God's correction. Let me, let me read some Proverbs to you that, that show how wise what he's doing here is. Proverbs 6.23, the commandment is a light, I'm sorry, is a lamp and the teaching a light. The reproves of discipline are the way of life. Proverbs 10, 17, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Proverbs 12, 11, whoever loves discipline, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. It's a biblical word there. But stupid in the biblical sense. He who hates reproof is stupid, is a fool, is one who hates knowledge and knowing things. Proverbs 15.5, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Habakkuk has just asked two very profound questions, questions that I'm sure many of us have had when we found ourselves in a time of difficulty. Why does God allow this? Why, why does God allow me to suffer this and not that person um, why does a tornado hit my community and not that community? Why does God have my family do this and, and not that family? Why am I in this financial situation and not that person? Why, or why am I not in their financial situation? Why, why this? And, 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 why? and those, those are legitimate questions in that they are true mysteries. But now God is going to give the answer. And here's Habakkuk's challenge. Will he listen to what God says in reply to these legitimate questions? Because at first glance, the answer that God gives Habakkuk doesn't seem that satisfying. And here's the gospel answer that God gives Habakkuk. The gospel answer, one gospel answer to these two questions, one gospel answer, the righteous shall live by faith. That's the one answer gospel answer that Habakkuk gets from God. And again, at first glance, this isn't very satisfying. It doesn't seem to be a direct answer to Habakkuk's question. Why does God allow evil? How can God appoint evil? And God says, answer, righteous live by faith. It's like asking, what's the meaning of, of life? And someone says, 42, the answer doesn't seem to go with a question. How are these things related? What does it mean, the righteous shall live by faith? Let's talk a little bit about what that statement means, and we're, we're going we're to explore this as, as we think through it. The righteous shall live by faith. Think about the beginning of your life. At, at the beginning of your life, the moment that you and I are, are born... We are not righteous. There's only one who's righteous, that's God, and and you and I are unrighteous. In other words, our our thoughts are not the thoughts of God's, our actions are not the actions of, of God. We don't live the way that God lives, and so in any way that we deviate from the character of God, we are unrighteous. And we live our lives in a way that reflects that you and I are unrighteous. We say things that God would not say. We do things that God would not do that are, that are an affront to his holiness. We live a life of unrighteousness, right? Then there becomes a moment, there, there comes a moment for the Christian, a, a moment in time, and, and maybe we don't all remember this exact moment where it occurred for us, but there's this moment in time where we understand that we're sinners and we understand that Jesus Christ came and lived a, a perfect life, a sinless life, that he was completely righteous, that he became a human being, even though he was God, God, God the Son, became human and, and lived this perfect life and died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead. And we realize that Christ died for our sins, and so there's a moment in time hang with me here, this is kind of a there's a lot here, this, this gospel answer, but there's this moment in time where we We place our faith in Christ, and we become righteous. The righteousness that we receive is not our own. It's the righteousness of Christ. It's it's alien to us. God gives it. And now, once we have this righteousness that, that comes from God, that we receive how? By faith. We're righteous by faith placing our faith in Jesus Christ will become righteous. Now what happens? Now we begin to live a life of faithfulness. Because we're righteous people now, not our own righteousness, but Christ's righteousness, we now begin, after the cross, after placing our faith in Christ, we now live a life in obedience to the gospel message. We now live faithful lives. So when Habakkuk says here in verse 4, the righteous shall live by his faith, what is he talking about? Is he talking about how we become righteous by faith, or is his main point that once we have faith and are righteous, we live by that faith? I believe that he's talking more about the living our lives after we've placed our faith in Christ, in God, in the Redeemer. But I believe both gospel truths are here. I think we see both gospel truths in this passage. And let me walk through each of the gospel truths that, that we see here and, and, and how they relate to one another and then how they relate back to this, this question that, these questions that Habakkuk asked, Okay. So the big gospel answer is the righteous shall live by faith. In that statement, the righteous shall live by faith, there's two gospel truths. These are gospel truths that we encounter in the New Testament over and over again. They're gospel truths that we encounter even in the Old Testament. The first gospel truth that's contained here is that you are righteous because of faith. You are righteous because of faith. Now, look what happens here. Look what happens here. God has, or Habakkuk has just asked these questions of God, and, and look, look at verses two and three. The Lord answers, and, and the Lord, uh, he could have done several things here. He could have told Habakkuk, okay, Habakkuk, you've asked about how I'm gonna use the Babylonians. Let me, let me give you the lowdown, all right? You guys are gonna be carried away by the Babylonians into captivity. I'm gonna raise up a guy like Daniel, He's going to minister there in the region of of, of Babylon and and he's going to do an amazing ministry and and then uh, you're going to be out of captivity. I'm going to work and Cyrus is hard after the Medes and Persians take over and you're going to come back into the land and worship of me is going to be restored. I'm going to raise up prophets like Haggai. I mean, There's going to be some amazing things. He could have told him all the things he was going to to do through this this evil, but he, he doesn't do that. He builds up Habakkuk's attention here. He talks about how important what he's about to tell him is. He says in verse 2, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. And It doesn't mean like read it and get scared and run away. When it talks about he may run, he's talking about the prophet running to proclaim it. Write it down. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. We, we have One of our children, Noah, he's kind of the family comedian in a lot of ways. And he loves finding expressions that kind of tickle his funny bone. He loves the expression, wait for it. And he tries to get the family just to, like he'll, uh, he'll come in with most mundane announcements, but trying to make us laugh, he goes, guys, 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 my favorite color is, wait for it wait for it, blue all right <laughs> and i'll leave you cracks you have to be there he's much funnier than i am god's building up the anticipation here habakkuk habakkuk i got some big news there's a vision it's going wait for it wait for it here it is here it is he's talking about this 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 vision that's going to take place and it's big it's big news and again there's 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 two thoughts here you're righteous because of faith now and how do we see this here well a couple ways here's how we see this truth this gospel truth that you're righteous because of faith in this passage first of all notice who's being contrasted here the person who's righteous is being contrasted with a person who's arrogant verse 4 uh, his soul is puffed up it's not upright within him he's talking to about the the, the Babylonians uh, verse 5 talks about the arrogant person who's never at rest, who has this, this greed, and, and uh, again, he's talking about the Babylonian uh, lack of lack of ability to be, be satisfied with anything. And, and so the, the righteous person is being contrasted with a proud person. The proud person is a person who doesn't recognize their need for God, place their faith and trust in God, and, and that's a person who's not righteous. By contrast, the person who's righteous is the one whose faith is in God. Habakkuk is also, I believe, based upon the wording that he's using here, drawing his audience's attention back to Genesis 15, verse 6, about the relationship between faith and righteousness. In Genesis 15, 6, it says that Abraham believed God, and that that belief was credited to him as as righteousness. In other words, God looks at Abraham, and he sees his faith, and and he, he he accepts Abraham's faith instead of his works, giving him God's works, God's righteousness. We also, another way that we know that Habakkuk here is, is alluding to the idea that you're righteous because of your faith is because that's how Paul uses it. Paul in, in Romans chapter 1, is as he's quoting Habakkuk, he'll say that he's not ashamed of the gospel of because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek, for in it the righteousness, of, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written in Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. So the gospel truth here is that you are righteous because of faith. There's a need that you and I have for righteousness and And we receive that righteousness not because of our works, but because of faith. In fact, by the way, just just as an aside here, when it says here that that in verse three, if it seems slow, wait for it. That it isn't just the vision, as we see the writer of Hebrews, and you can look up in Hebrews chapter ten, verses thirty-seven and thirty-eight. It talks about how this, this passage is referring not just to the vision, but to, to Jesus himself. If, if the coming one, the, the righteous one, seems slow, wait for him. He will surely come. He will not delay. So, you are righteous because of faith, Habakkuk is alluding to. You're righteous because of faith, faith in the coming redeemer. You and I have a need for righteousness. On, I think it was uh, Friday, I, I came home. And my children, uh, I always preface stories about my children like this. My children, whom I love so dearly, uh, they were they, there. Had been some issues uh, between uh, one of one of my daughters and one of my sons, and not like bad, but 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 she thought there were some things about his conduct that I needed to know about. And I said, well, uh, you know, I don't want to get in this. He said, she said, deal. I, I just, you know what? Let's, let's not get into that. Let's, let's, let's talk about forgiveness. And, and she said, it's not he said, she said, Dad. I, I've got video evidence. And she um, <laughs> um, yeah. said, really, sweetheart, do we want to live in a Google world? Like do we, everything needs to be recorded. Whenever God looks at me, I've got a problem, right? I'm not righteous. But God is righteous. Habakkuk is right. God is righteous. What do I need whenever God looks at me and, and, and sees me, what do I need? I need what my son needed. I need like some sort of, you know, digital magic to take place. I need I need uh, God to look at the video evidence of me and see something else. And that's what this means. When I say you're righteous because of faith, what happens is this. I receive Christ's righteousness so that and by the way, this is a huge concept in Judaism in, 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 this, in, in what, this, this time period that Habakkuk is writing. A judge's responsibility was to judge in the way that God would judge. To see what God would see and be in accordance with what God would see. And, and what happens when God looks at me is, is, is he's righteous and so he's seen real wickedness. And so what needs to happen? I need God to look at me and see something else. And so that's what happens. He sees Christ when he looks at me because i placed my faith in Jesus. In the Redeemer. That's what Habakkuk is talking about. But here's the, the second thing that we see here. The second thing that we see, the second gospel truth, it says the righteous shall live by faith. What is Habakkuk also saying? And, and I think this is the main thrust. He's saying, not only are you righteous because of faith, but you are faithful because of righteousness. You see that? Not only are you righteous because of faith, here initially, now, after, after that, you become faithful because of righteousness. Now you are righteous. Now you have a righteousness that is not your own, but is, is from God. And now what are you supposed to do? Now you live faithfully. You continue to live by placing your faith in the Redeemer, and your conduct reflects the righteousness that God has given you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that, 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 that amazing here? This initial faith that you had that, that gave you righteousness that Habakkuk is alluding to says, okay, this righteousness that Abraham has, what happens next? That, that faith, by that faith, the righteous continue to live. We live by faith by continuing to be faithful in difficult circumstances. You say, okay, well, hold on. How does this address the questions that Habakkuk had? And and here's how. So, hold on. Two gospel truths. Remember, let's, let's let's, let's make sure we're all on the same page here. Two gospel truths. Gospel truth number one, you are righteous because of faith. Gospel truth number two. You are faithful because of righteousness. That's all at work here is, is, as God says, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, how does that relate to these questions that Habakkuk had? It's so important. This is a gospel truth that's all throughout the Old Testament. What I believe that God is saying to Habakkuk is, yes, these these are real problems. It's a legitimate question about God's relationship with the Babylonians. And and we know that God is not the author of evil, that God does not delight in evil, and yet God is sovereign over evil. Those are all big, true questions. But here's what God is saying to Habakkuk. The problem isn't so much, your major problem isn't so much what God is going to do with these other wicked people. The main problem that you need to concern yourself with, first and foremost, is what is God going to do about your wickedness. That's what the gospel points us to. There's important questions out there. You know, Why a tornado in Washington? That's a big, important question. Uh, where was God in all Big, important question. Um, why does my family treat me so badly? Big, important question, and God is concerned with that as well. But here's the, the ultimate question that you and I need to be asking ourselves is, what is God going to do about my unrighteousness? What is God going to do about my great need for forgiveness and righteousness? And here's the answer. God's answer to you is, uh, the righteous shall live by faith. You can receive forgiveness and enter into a relationship with God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And then, in the midst of wickedness, in the midst of injustice, in the midst of all the garbage that happens in life, the righteous continue to live by faith. The righteous continues to be faithful. You are faithful because of righteousness because of the righteousness that God has given you. Are you excited by that truth? That is an amazing truth. When the co-workers are unfair to you, whenever your spouse is not treating you the way that, that Clearly you deserve to be treated. Whenever your children are not being who you desire them to be, whenever mom and dad are not being the parents that God has clearly called them to be, you are faithful because of righteousness. You've received righteousness from God by faith. Now you continue to live by faith in the midst of evil wickedness. Here's what Habakkuk will go on to say in this chapter. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And again, God doesn't address the nitty-gritty, he doesn't tell them everything that's going to happen because of what he's doing with the, the Babylonians, he doesn't go into all those intricacies, but he does tell Habakkuk this, verse 14 of chapter 2, for the earth will be filled with the glory of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Whatever evil injustice you're dealing with, whatever terrible thing that you're dealing with, know this, as a result of that, I don't know how, as a result of that, ultimately, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Does Habakkuk get it? God is, he's asked God some questions. God has given him an answer that, that doesn't directly address the questions that he had in the sense of getting to the, the nitty-gritty details. Does Habakkuk understand, look at the very end of the book of Habakkuk and you tell me actually I'll tell you too. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17. In verse 17 he acknowledges the reality of what God has said is going to happen. Though the fig tree should blossom, should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, if I go to the refrigerator I open there's no food. If I go to the grocery market and there's, there's no bread on the shelves, if I go to the restaurants and they're all shuttered down and there's no food to be found anywhere, and my heat doesn't work, my electricity doesn't turn on, my family deserts me, though all those things should happen. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. No matter what takes place, because of the righteousness that I've received, I will continue to be faithful. Because of the righteousness that I've received by placing my faith in a coming Redeemer, I'll be faithful. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that gives us life, and it's the gospel by which we lead our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gospel, the good news of your son Jesus, our Redeemer. We pray that our lives would reflect the good news of the gospel of our faith in your son Jesus, and we pray this in his name. Amen.